Welcome to Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their rollercoaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast, share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Before we go into the conversation on which we have different viewpoints, do you want to talk a bit about the, the fact that this war is ongoing in the times of the technology, making everything so open and how do you think that is affecting the how the war is developing and uh, and yeah opinion of the public internationally whatever you think um, yeah i that think affects. that's a very uh, interesting and important side of this war is that you know people in ukraine have a lot of modern technologies and a lot of them know english and that was something of uh, interesting thing to see on twitter you know like a lot of People from West, I guess, maybe not a lot of, but some of them didn't know that Ukrainians are that good, you know, in English and in documenting stuff. So, yeah, I've seen some very unpleasant things that people were writing, you know, that a lot of people thought that Ukraine is just an agrarian country with, I don't know, peasants and stuff, you know, like nothing is improving or developing. We are all corrupted, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly... That was not the thing, you know, that this isn't true. And yeah, the fact is that a lot of uh, we should be thankful to technology and things like that, because a lot of war crimers who were in Bucha and Irpin, they were documented on cameras, you know, and they are already found them, the investigators and stuff like that. So we know who did this and it will be even more in the future. I'm sure of it because, you know, just today, New York Times released videos of another uh, war crime in Bucha where people were shot at civilians and they took the videos from cameras, you know, just from the street. And that's what we're having today. We have a lot of things that can be documented this way. And that's why Russia wouldn't be able, you know, to say that yeah, we didn't do that. We didn't do this. This was all Ukrainian troops. No, it wasn't. And we have we have everything we need to prove that. And this is very important, in my opinion. And the way that a lot of people, even from the, even, but like people from the Western countries and not only Western countries, are adding their part in these things. You know, I was um, reading about one, student from USA who is uh, using the OSINT, you know, the technology for, he is using the technologies that are already in the internet, you know, to find cameras and video things and to uh, compare them to maps, Google Maps and other stuff to understand where the videos were shot, you know, and things like that. And so that it's not only Ukrainians doing that, but also people from all over the world who are just interested in stuff like that. And they are they don't have the emotional, you know, baggage with them because mm. they like observers from the situation, not inside of it. And that's I think a benefit for them. It's a thing that we can't feel when we're looking at the videos and when we're 
looking at evidences and things like that. So yeah, that's a very important thing for us that in this time of technology, we can see more. And that's why, you know, it's also it's also still a problem for people to say things about Nazi and all that stuff, because, you know, you have everything right now on the internet. You can see the resources, you can share them, you can read people who are specialists, professionals, whom you trust, who've been trusted by other people and countries. I don't know, you know, like very trustable sources. You can find that by your own. You can read the text and understand, you know, where the truth and where is Russia talking. You mean, because every time the Russia talks, it means lies. So, yeah. Let's go into that since that is a good transition to the topic about Russia and opinions uh, or uh, perspectives on on that. So you had several events that were really turning points for you on how you perceived um, the enemy. Yes, uh, there were two turning points for me. The first was the video from Ivan Kiv. It was, if I'm not mistaken, on the last days of February, a boy uh, was recording a video from his phone when he, with his father, they were escaping from Russian troops uh, on their car and they were moving their dogs with them. And you can see on video, I was just, you know, I was just, uh, I wake, I woke up on the day. I remember it very clearly. I didn't even get out of the bed. I just, you know, turned on the phone and was looking for some use. And I see this video which the boy is recording and how how their car is stopped. It's being shotted with bullets and you can see it, you can hear it. And then you can see how the dead of this boy is dying in his eyes, just in front of him. He was killed by Russians. And uh, this was a very, very painful thing to watch. And... I remember how I was crying after watching it and how I needed some time to recuperate after this video for the whole morning and I guess after the till the evening. Um, and if this is more painful just because this is not some you know news from Western journalists or from or stuff like that. You know, it's not only photos, it's the video from a child, you know, who's who's doing it. Or from his own phone, you're you're feeling yourself like a part of this story, a part of the tragedy that you can see in front of your eyes. So that was one moment which was which I felt change in my feelings towards Russians because you know they were clearly civilians. They were just trying to escape from the occupied occupied territories. And the second turning point was, of course, Mariupol. Uh, Mariupol. Especially the thing when they dropped bomb on the drama theater. And after this happened, we've seen that there were writings, children in front and behind the theater. So that people who are, who are um, responsible for bombs would see this and won't be bombing them. And the fact that they still did it, you know, and the fact that there were a lot of women and children in the shelter, in drama theater. This was something like, um, also, you know, how, 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 can you, how can you still feel something 
accept hate and disgust for Russians after this happened. I mean, they, it was clearly on purpose. They clearly knew what they were doing. And we know it, we know it, of course, right now. We know that they are doing it on purpose. They are killing children, raping women, elderly people. This is all done on purpose. So, like, this is not something, this is something that could have been avoided. I mean, it even sometimes it's crazy for me to think that, you know, people are talking about rules of war and Geneva Convention mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And you're like, but when did it even was an option. I don't know. When did it work like that? I mean, uh, when we've seen that Russians are killing civilians without any feeling of, I don't know, maybe not feeling, but, you know, we understand that this was the orders. This wasn't some something that was done not on purpose, accidentally. This was not accidents. And that's what shifted, for me, everything. Because watching Mariupol how it was turning into humanitarian catastrophe and reading news from people dying there from hunger, from... Like of antibiotics. Yes. And like of medicine. Water, medicine, yeah. so nothing. And, and this is in the 21st century, in the heart of Europe, happening. You know, it was, it was, I, it was something uncomprehensible. I couldn't comprehend what was happening. How could this be happening in the town of Ukraine right now? And if, you know, before I maybe was thinking about, you know, but there are people still in Russia who doesn't support this war, who are not supporting Putin. You know, after Mariupol, I thought that I don't give a damn about those people and their existence just because there are 140 million people in Russia and how many of them were protesting during first two months? How many of those people were trying to do something, you know, with it? And the same goes for Russian abroad Russians. Did we see some protests? I don't know. Where did we see a protest which was not pro-Putin in Europe, USA, Australia, New Zealand, Africa? I don't know where. We didn't see any. Or maybe if I'm mistaken, please, you can comment somewhere that you've seen it, but I don't think that I've seen any. I've seen pro-Putin rallies in Berlin, a lot of cars going there. I've seen pro-Putin rallies in Serbia, Greece, Hungary, of course, we can forget that. So, you know, how can you feel something except hate for the enemy? And it doesn't matter how long Russians are not living in Russia or how long they are not a pro-Putin or stuff like that, because the imperialistic vision is still a very big problem for, I think, 99 and 9% of Russians. So they don't view Ukraine and Ukrainian as human beings and as a country that should be independent. And, you know, people are saying, well, those polls that say that 71% of Russians are not against pro-Putin, yes, and pro-war, you know, we can't believe them because this polls can't be, you know, people wouldn't say on camera or write somewhere that they are not pro-Putin because they would be terrorized, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but, you know, three months is gone. And what what did we see from Russia except crying for, oh my God, I can't buy an iPhone, I can go to McDonald's, I can't buy an IKEA products and stuff like that. And 
the thing is, you know, after Mariupol and all these things, you just start understanding. And after reading some things on Twitter from very wise people, historians and stuff like that, um, you understand that there are no liberalism in Russia. There are no democratic values and never were, even when Yeltsin was. I don't believe in good Russians. And mm-hmm. no matter how long they're living abroad and no matter how old they are, just because, you know, that's the thing for many in Ukraine right now. And for for friends that I'm talking with, you know, you can't tolerate them in any way. It doesn't matter what are they doing, even if they're volunteering. And that's a pity, you know, that I was, one of my thoughts when I was going abroad, I was thinking about, damn, then this will be, maybe I would meet some alive Russians, you know, in other countries. And that doesn't, that, that, that won't be a pleasant moment. And I'm kind of shocked how quick that happened, you know, for me. And I didn't like it. And I tried to do some volunteer work here, but I understood, you know, that Russians are everywhere. And they are also working on Ukrainian, in Ukrainian volunteering organizations here. And I don't think that I'm ready to work in an organization where this is possible, where people are tolerating enemies, you know, because right now, you know, every Russian for me is an enemy. And that is not just, you know, like the words I'm talking and not doing anything with that, because people from this volunteering organization, they were talking about how they need someone like me in their team, you know, to help with media stuff and content writing and stuff like that. So I was very eager to join them because I this is the thing I'm looking here for right now, you know, to help with which, with what I can. For those who are coming here, for those who don't have that level of English that I have, although it's not ideal, it's very far from ideal. So, yeah. And I was thinking about, well, is it okay for me to work in an organization where there's even one Russian working? And after a few days, I understood that, no, this is not okay for me. I can't do this. I just can't, you know. And I met this person and we talked a little bit. And that also was, wasn't was an experience that I wanted to have. And I didn't behave the way I wanted, you know, to behave. And the way I wanted to behave, I was thinking about after meeting a person. Um, because I still, after three weeks being abroad, I feel like I don't have a lot of resource, you know. And being yourself takes a lot of resource, especially if you were building yourself for the last few years. And you you were uh, very far from what you wanted to be, you know, but still you were doing some progress and stuff like that. So I felt like since the beginning of Invasion, I was kind of a childish, you know, I had a lot of childish things coming back to me. I was reacting, you know, like a teenager sometimes. So that's why I feel like it's hard for me sometimes to behave like an adult. You know, not to feel all those things and not to be confident or to be confident. Well, something like that. This is the the point on which we respectfully disagree with each other and we discussed it. And and I think this is why it's so important to bring it up because I totally understand your what you're going through right now in this way, uh, how things become black and white. And that's what I was talking about in 
one of the previous episodes how sometimes I wish that things were more black and white for me. And uh, there are situations in which I hate seeing different shades of gray in between. And in Reykjavik, in our volunteer organization, I I have been observing Russians who have been there since day one, and they are putting so much effort and time and and money in getting that to work. And um, I didn't know those people before the invasion. I got to know them through the volunteering. And that's the thing. I, I see them as people who have lost themselves on 24th of February in some way because they can't relate to what their home country has done. They can't agree with it, but at the same time, they they have it as a stamp on them forever. And uh, as much, as little as I understand Russians as a nation right now, as hard it is still for me to just sweep everyone out. And of course, those with whom I have personal relationship, it's harder. And I do continue talking to some Russians, very, very, very few. And I was, I actually uh, stopped the friendship with one of quite close Russian friends back in 2014, 15, when we could not, when I couldn't get a clear statement from her about actions of Putin and her opinion about that. I just, that was the first time I actually actively said, do not contact me again and had to block that person in all the media, uh, social media channels and so on. So I've done that before. It's not only happening this year. And this year, of course, the the circle of Russians that are still there has shrunk a huge amount, but there are still several. And I'm torn between feeling like I almost wish I would like to feel like you, just black and white and every Russian is bad, and really clinging on those few Russians who I still whom I still trust, who I still respect and, and, and appreciate our friendship. And what I mean by clinging is the feeling that I want to have a reminder that it's never 100% black and white and that we all have the power of choosing and controlling things in our lives and that some people have done it the quote-unquote right way or actually without the quote, quotation marks, they've done it the right way. They've made a choice. I mean, they didn't decide where they would be born, but they did decide on which side of the equation be right now, whether to stand with the Ukrainians or not. And that's, that's the thing that the conversations we need to have more. I know that there are Russians listening to the show, for example. I know there are Russians following me on Instagram. And there, for example, people with whom I have less relationship, I don't manage to reply to their reactions to my stories because... The only things that come to my mind are bitter, bitter messages. And I know that it's not what I want to spread in a way. So I choose to ignore them. And that what I'm trying to say here, it's, it's not easy. And these, these moments are really the ones that put our values and our vision for life for a test that I wouldn't wish for anyone to ever go through. But I think our conversation, what we have discussed on Slack, for example, about this and I, how I felt like I, uh, and I wrote that I, I understand your position, but I want to express mine. And it's important for me that you know about it because I will, de- of course, understand and respect your choice if you decide to discontinue working with me because we are different on this position. 
I think it's very important for us to talk about it in a respectful way and before it gets too heated and just becomes a very destructive force with, within the nation, within the country. So what are your thoughts on that, uh, on, on our different opinions? I think that this is a very civilized thing to do, you know, to be able to listen and respect other opinions and to understand that it is okay that people can have different opinions and we should be able to respect that and, you know, to be able to discuss it, not in a heated situations, like just to share our thoughts, why we agree, why we disagree. And, you know, because that's what, I don't know, People do like smart ones. <laughs> I mean, when you're not hurting each other with your thoughts, when you're not trying to change the point of view of the other person, it's, yeah, it's very important to to be able to do that, you know, to not be offensed by that. So what did you feel when I wrote about my opinions? <laughs> be <you> honest. <laughs> Well, of course, of course, you know, as every person, I would love everyone to share my opinions. I guess that's a usual this thing every people think about. And yeah, maybe I was, I, 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 I think I was not very happy about that, you know, but also I understand that the amount of connections you have and the experience you have, you know, it is very different from mine, from anyone else's. And so the people who surround you and who surrounded you in the past, you had different connections with them and different relationships as all of as all of us, you know? So we never know why people are really do what they do and why are they keep that connections, uh, you know, the way they are or trying to separate from them. And... Um, I have a friend who's in Kiev right now, and he's a very smart person, and he's from Crimea. And the thing is, you know, as well as with you, we can have conversations on different opinions and share thoughts. It was also this way with him, you know, uh, the way that we could discuss very different things, you know, about languages, about stuff like that. and. We will be even arguing, you know, about something, but we never were offensed by anything because uh, we both know that we can have different opinions and that's okay and we don't need to be angry about it. And that's what I would love to see more, you know, everywhere. <laughs> I mean, when people mm -hmm. can be pretty calm about sharing their thoughts and understand that someone else can have different opinion, but in the same, in the same way, in the same time. In the same time, thank you. Yes, in the same time, there's some things that you can't accept, you know? And for me, this is accepting, okay, I'm going to change that thought to another one because I understand that I can't express what I want to say. So, uh, yeah, I did mention that I moved to Ireland and I um, chose this country just because I was looking for I was looking that uh, Irish people are supporting us a lot during all this invasion since the 24th of February. And I thought that that would be the ideal, you know, country to go to where you can be, you can feel safe, you know, definitely not in Germany or France, nor in Hungary or Serbia. <laughs> A little bit of political jokes, yeah. And I tried to connect here with Ukrainians who also came 
after 24th of February. And the thing is, you know, I didn't find yet people who would share my thoughts on enemy the way that I have them. And that's something that's really also hurting me a lot because, you know, when we were sitting some amount of Ukrainians in Dublin, we were sitting in the park and someone said that there are free excursions in Dublin in Russian language that you can come to. Everyone were like, yeah, okay, let's go. Someone asked, you know, but who's holding them? Who's holding them? And the person said that this is a woman from Moscow who's been living in Ireland for 10 years. And, you know, nobody thought that this was a bad idea. Everyone were like, yeah, okay, let's go. And I was the only one who said like, sorry, but I don't care how long she's here. I won't be going to this expression. You know, for me, these things are concrete. And, you know, I'm like, I, I don't have questions in them. Yes, of course, I had questions about volunteering and that stuff that I said before, but only because, you know, I want to bring value. I want to help this as much as I can, but even as much as I can, I can tolerate Russians nowhere around me. And this is something that I think won't be changing for me in nearest future. How, how is that? I'm just trying to think when someone is listening to this and trying to understand that point, because it is quite an extreme one. Yes. But, you know, what is extreme? Yeah. I mean, extreme, yeah, this is the thing that you can yeah, also bring in. Yeah. Yeah. Like think about war crimes Russia is doing right now in Ukraine and how Russian nation is doing nothing about it. I mean, my, my God, 140 million people, the territory of the state, you know, comparing to Ukraine, how many people are living there and what have they done to stop the war? I mean, they did literally nothing. So how can I feel any respect and nothing except hate for anyone from Russia? Because even those that went abroad, what have they done? I know I heard about some things that they are doing, volunteering, blah, 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 mm. and other stuff. But this is clearly not enough. And it wasn't enough. And it won't be enough. And um, I know that there are a lot of people in Ukraine are sharing these thoughts and I I personally hope that there will be more people who are thinking like that also, because, you know, the only, this war is genocide, and the only way that we can live through it is to understand our enemy and how we should be percepting him. Yeah. What, I, what uh, I was wondering about is that if people, for example, have been living abroad and they have left Russia for for the reasons of not supporting and now they're active against that still it's not enough no because you know there are there are jokes about you know where uh, russian liberalism ends you know ask them about crimea donbas chechnya georgia syria you know stuff like that so i mean uh, russia was never a state of democracy or European values or stuff like that. I mean, because if people, what about I was trying to say about Yeltsin and stuff, you know, bad things were happening in Russian politics when he was in charge also. So people who are not pro-Putin, they can be, I don't know, pro-Navalny. We can talk about Navalny also, you know, who is the same Nazi and chauvinist as all of them. And there are no 
liberal Russians. Yeah, it's hard not to get emotional, you know, when we're talking <laughs> like that. And that is clearly not the conversation I was wanted to, I wanted to have. But yeah, I guess I need to to talk more about it to not be so emotional. Yeah, I'm sorry if I Thank took you to to the A. No, that's okay. Avenue that you were not prepared for, but and thanks for staying in yeah. it. Uh, I, I think it is important for us to to talk about that because this is all what's going on in our minds right now. And if we stay silent with these thoughts and opinions of ours for too long, it will just be destructive for ourselves and people around yes. us. And one thing I maybe want to add is that, you know, all those Russians who are living abroad or maybe in Russia and they're not pro-Putin, there will be topics that they won't come through, you know, if asked about Russian imperialism, if asked about Yekaterina II, if asked about Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Pushkin, culture, Russian culture, and all stuff like that. All Russian culture is soaked with imperialism, with chauvinism. And we can't accept that, you know, and European, Europe, Europe, USA, and, you know, whole world should understand that all of Russian culture is, all of Russian culture is a joke. This is also a tool of imperialism. And it was also like that. And they tried to silence our, our other voices of other countries who were before in USSR, you know, so... Every Russian, if you ask him, you will go to the topic, which will be the one that will show you who he is or she is really. You know, I'm sure that there are no Russian person in the world who doesn't have that thing. That's something that will prove to you that he's not as good as those that are sitting in Russia right now and doing nothing. I want to switch the topic and it's not because it's uncomfortable, but it's more because... You said that it's not the path that you wanted to go. And for respect of that, we stayed in, the, in that uncomfortable part for long. Let's talk about you in Ireland right now. How has your experience been? You mentioned a bit about the reactions of people to your move, but how is that going? Actually, it is great. I mean, um, the support I'm getting here and the people who are hosting me are incredible. And it started even in the Dublin airport, you know, the women who was talking to me when I get there and doing document stuff, you know, and things like that. They are very friendly and very supportive in many ways. And you, the very important part is that you don't feel like they feel pity for you. You know, this is a very important difference. You just feel the support and the understanding of what condition you are in and your country is in right now. I love Ireland very much right now. I've seen a lot of beautiful places here. Um, I love these green places, you know, a lot of trees, parks, and stuff like that. And the buildings is not very high, you know, which was some, some kind of difference from Kiev, you know, because you usually can see some not skyscrapers but pretty high buildings in Kiev and here in Dublin you know everything is not that big and it's great you know mm-hmm. I like it very much and I feel how, how I'm being healed here a little bit more right now after three weeks and I'm getting better from day to day but still my condition is not that stable and I feel how not many things I need to go to the bad place again, you know, that I'm trying not to go there, but there's not, this is not something 
you can really control the wishes said. So, yep. You you mentioned to me how grateful you are to Ireland. Could you elaborate on that? Um, yeah, I think that uh, when I was searching for where I want to go, I read about how Ireland, you don't need a visa anymore if you're from Ukraine and you're uh, going after 24th of February to go here. They give you all the rights that Irish people have in most capacity. So uh, the medicine, you know, jobs and stuff like that, there are meetings here you know, that employers are providing, you know, that you can come and see what jobs they have and things like that. So, yeah, you can see that this is a governmental policy, you know, this is not like something, something small. This is very, this is on the scale of a whole country, how people are trying to support and help Ukraine. And I also found an interesting site that's called Privit. And there are just people from different businesses who are reaching out to Ukrainians and try to offer something, you know, like maybe a free beer somewhere or a yoga course with 50% discount, stuff like that, you know, and there are lots of them. And this is very, well, this is warms my heart, you know, to see how people are trying to support the way they can. And they're doing a lot, as I'm seeing here. And my hosts also, they were packing things for Ukraine in first weeks. So they were also trying to help the way they could. And there are lots of people like them here. And they're friends and others from different part, corners of Ireland. And I understand that, especially after, you know, you know, reading some more information about Irish history, which I was trying to like prepare myself before going here, you know, to learn more about the country and stuff like that. And yeah, there's a lot of similarities in our histories, tragedies that we also kind of share, our nations share. And that's why, I guess, this is the main reason why Ireland is supporting us on such level. Because, yeah, they experienced very similar things in the past. And that's why they understand us so good, you know, even though they are so far. Last thing I wanted to ask you about... Um In our idea of brainstorming about what we should discuss, you uh, wrote about the fear of showing your life now on social media and how differently people react to your pictures of peaceful, nice life. Yeah, that's... Do you want uh, to go there? Maybe a little, because, you know, I had examples of that in my friends' accounts somewhere maybe on Instagram I think and Facebook how like most of us of course were posting things about war and Russian war crimes and stuff like that uh, but also uh, the moments when I were seeing you know people posting some kittens they have or dogs or stuff like that you know garden it was also it was also very important you know to see how yeah normal life still is still there you know people are still going to drink coffee make a manicure and stuff like that you know and this is not a thing to be ashamed of really but it's also you know it can be different and it depends on i guess what is the everyday agenda for you on the social media so this is a complicating question and Um, I was also sharing some pictures of Ireland, you know, because I want to 
show people, you know, how beautiful place this is and how beautiful things I see here. And a lot of my friends were reacting, you know, with hearts and stuff like that and asking me where it is and things like that. So, yeah, you are, when, you, when you're posting something, this is, this is a difficult and complicated thing that when every time I'm posting something, you know, I'm thinking a lot of what I, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? You know, and, and right now. So do I want to share this with a lot of people or not? Do I really need to say these words, you know? Because, yeah, I have a peculiar sense of humor and sometimes, you know, not everyone likes that. So, yeah, um, sometimes I can prepare people for stuff like that. You know, I was asking them, like, do you want to see more of dark jokes? But still, you always, you're like on the display right now. Everything you do, you need to think about what it is what the impact it has, even if it has any, you know? And it's not like mm-hmm. I'm even some kind of celebrity. Even You know, I'm so far from that. But even for me, this is something of a big importance, you know? I need to understand why am I doing this. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a- I wish I, I wanted to talk about more about Mariupol, but I'm not sure that we have enough time for that. Let's, let's do it that way. Um, if... Um- if listeners want to continue the conversation specifically about Mariupol, let us know and we will do another episode. For now, I, I, I think I've exhausted you enough. <laughs> it was great, you know, to to talk about this and to have a conversation where you can share your thoughts. And yeah, I think I'm not I'm not sure I understand how many people will listen to this, you know, and the reaction that will be. But at least, you know, I said everything I'm feeling right now. And I didn't say anything I will regret, I hope. <laughs> because everything I said is right from my heart. Yeah. And I think that's important for us to do right now, to open up our hearts and show what's there. And just as, as we discussed right now, that things can be different. But as long as we respect each other and uh, understand that differences are coming from our different different experiences and us being different personalities, and as long as we can look for the similarities and the connection points, uh, we we are stronger together. I'm very grateful, Anya, that you could come and, and share so openly and stay in this uncomfortable conversation for so long. And uh, dear genius leaders, let us know what you take from this conversation. It's very important for both of us to know what are the learnings, what maybe you, you've heard something new for yourself, what are your reflections, what resonated, what didn't, what you would disagree with. And if you disagree, please do it respectfully. Anna, thank you so much for your trust, for working with me, for sticking with me, <laughs> and for this conversation as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything 